What's going on, ATL peeps? Welcome to episode 47 of Around the League. Man, it's been a while since Tuan and I last recorded a pod. We've been super busy, but we're really excited to record this one. We talk all NBA teams, the Scorching Grizz, the, the surprising Raptors, the dysfunction in LA, and then finally we give our predictions for the second half of the season because we have already reached that point, which is crazy to think about. This might be the longest podcast that we've ever recorded, but it's been a while, and that's what happens when two buddies catch up, talk hoops after a long time. If you make it through this podcast, you're a real one, and as always, we thank everyone who listens for listening, and you'll definitely be hearing from us soon. Happy New Year. Happy listening. We'll talk to you soon. Take care. Welcome to episode 47 of Around the League. It's been a minute, but we are super excited to talk hoops today. We're basically halfway through the NBA season, which is crazy to think about. Uh, today, we're going to get into our midseason All-NBA Awards. We're going to spotlight a couple teams that have caught our attention. And of course, we're going to talk about the dysfunction in La La Land. But speaking of La La Land, we can't start this episode without checking in with our boy. So Tuan, how you doing, my man? Hey, what's up, brother? I am doing great. I am doing great. You know, I was back home um, in Ontario for a few weeks uh, during Christmas break and flew out uh, back to L.A. last week, right before that 60 centimeter snowstorm that engulfed the entire province and stopped everything. So I'm happy to be back in, you know, 20 plus degree weather here in L.A. Things things are good, you know, Um Weather's good, work's good, and uh, the only thing that I can complain about is how expensive everything here is in LA. But, yeah, uh, what's what do you mean about? by that? Give me some examples. <laughs> um, yeah, we were just talking earlier, but um, just trying to fill out our place with some new furniture. We left a lot of our stuff back in, in Toronto. So, you know, looking to buy a couch, a you know console, dining set, an office space. So everything's, you know, adding up. It's, you know, $500 here, $1,000 here, you know, it adds up a little bit. So, um, and I got to figure out a car situation too. It's pretty tough to get around LA without a car. They don't got like the best metro system. So honestly, just trying to figure out my way and just, you know, being smart with the money, trying not to uh, keep up with the Joneses, as they would say. Uh, so, you know, that's what I'm dealing with, trying to live, but also be smart with uh <laughs> With, with the financial situation right now. Hey, I got a question for you. Um, obviously, we're locked down right now. Next week, restaurants and uh, what have you will be open, but LA is wide open, right? Oh, yeah. Wide open. Um, so all the like, arenas. So um, what are some, re- like, have you been to any sick restaurants since you've been back or because uh, you moved to a different part of the city, right? Yes. Yeah, so I was staying downtown LA um, in like a temporary housing for like seven weeks, which was only like five minute walk from my actual like um, office downtown. Uh, but then we moved down to um, Koreatown. So it's only a 10 minute drive now, a little further away, but it's like right on the border of Koreatown and downtown. And it's a pretty good, it's, it's a dope spot, especially for for me and Judy, uh, it's like a nice new condo. So um, gonna be a way for us to meet new people, but also enjoy a lot of the amenities here. Like there's a ba- outdoor basketball court across the street. We got like a swimming pool, 
uh, you know, fireplace. There's like Korean barbecue grills outside if you want to, you know, grill up a set of bulgogi or galbi beef. Um, so it, it's, it's a nice place. And yeah, we've been eating out quite a bit just because we don't have our like cooking cookware and uh, pots and pans and all that stuff. So we've been going to a lot of Korean restaurants, um, as you would imagine, being downtown Koreatown. So um, yeah, the food here is fantastic. Can't wait for you guys to come here and show you guys a, a sick Korean barbecue spot. Like every Korean barbecue spot I've, uh, I've gone to so far has been A1, like so good. Well, that's so what bomb. I was going to say. How does it compare to Toronto or is it too early to tell? Honestly, I don't, I haven't had like amazing Korean barbecue in, in Toronto. You know, there's like all you need stuff, but here um, I would take you guys to like a a la carte, uh, a place where, yeah, you would just eat where you're not trying to, you know, make, make the best value for your money. You know, how, how us immigrants usually do just try to go all, all you need and just fill yourselves up. But um, yeah, these spots have like really nice cuts of beef. Um, yeah, man. And the, the, the side uh, side or what are side apps and the soups and everything else is just so good. So yeah, man, I'm, I'm excited to uh, show you guys around once we find more hot spots to take you guys. Hopefully, hopefully sooner than later. Oh man. Yeah. Hopefully. Yeah. No, a bunch of people are like even yeah, planning to come down like pretty soon in the next few months. We're just kind of waiting for our place to be, be a little more organized and uh, just, yeah be better guests or better host for for our guests. So we're just waiting it out a little bit. So, you know, taking applicants in starting probably March and uh, see who wants to come down and uh, yeah, show them a good time. Yeah. We'll get a crew together for sure. Yeah, man. Um, I'm, I'm waiting. Hopefully you guys come before the, uh, the hockey or basketball season is over so we can hit up some, some of those games. Absolutely. Hey, your LA Rams look pretty good yesterday. How about the NFL? <laughs> eh? Like if you're Roger Goodell, um, the last two weeks in the NFL have been, man, out of control. Like I, I'm a lukewarm, like casual football fan, but I'm converted. Honestly, I'm, I'm fully converted. Yeah. I, I, yeah, I, I've, I've been converted for a while now just cause I have like my fantasy, uh, you know, side of, of things, but yeah, I've been watching so much football as, as of late, um, all the games. Yeah. This past what Saturday Sunday were unreal. I didn't I didn't get to watch all of them because I was out and about. But watching the highlights, just you know, seeing you guys have that conversation in our group chat and just knowing how wild those games were, um, kind of pissed off that I missed some of it. But hopefully the AFC and NFC championship game are as good as as this week's. And yeah, man, the Super Bowl is in LA, SoFi Stadium. You know, fuck if. Uh, if something comes up, you know, if someone comes down, I wouldn't be uh, opposed to dropping one G on the worst tickets in the, in the, in the arena. But uh, yeah, that's gonna be a hot ticket for sure, especially in LA. Well, I think the crazy thing is, you know, being being an NBA being an NBA fan for like my entire life, um, playoffs have always been a little predictable. Like obviously, there's um, series and matchups that that go the other way. But for the most part, it's a pretty predictable league. And I couldn't believe the amount of upsets. I couldn't believe the amount of games that ended in, or sorry, got decided with the field goal. Um, even the ones that weren't tight were blowouts, but they ended up being upsets. Um, 
Yeah, I mean, it's just it's it's a really I mean, when you're only playing one game in the playoffs, it just changes everything. Yeah, exactly, exactly. That's the one thing about the NBA where it's everything's so predictable. You you kind of know who's going to be not only in like the conference finals, but you can pr- pretty much predict the finals pretty closely. Um, whereas the NFL, again, you're just do or die one game at home or one way out, one game away. Um, yeah, it's, it's a different monster for sure. Whereas the seven game series, you know, you can lose one or two games, but if you're the better team, you usually win out kind of like how uh, Milwaukee beat the Suns last year. I mean, I don't know who listens to this pod, but if we have any diehard Bills fans that listen to this pod, I feel for you, man. 13 seconds. Like I couldn't, I could not imagine what, what it felt like to be a diehard Bills fan this morning when everything um, got stolen from you in 13 seconds. Josh Allen was on the sideline, uh, fist pumping, celebrating as if they were ready to go, as if they were going to win. Boom, 13 seconds and a wrong coin flip. And that was the game. Oh, man, I can't imagine, man. Is there, is there another more tortured fan base than the Bills? Well, that's no, what I was going to say. Thinking... Like, look at the NBA. Like, who's the – like, they're definitely a flawed and they're definitely a cursed franchise. And I was trying to think, like, who's the Buffalo Bills in the NBA? Well, the Bills are – like, even though they lost in that fashion, obviously ter- terrible way to lose, but they still have a very good team. You know, when, when I think of like a really shitty franchise in the NBA, like the one team that comes up is probably like the Sacramento Kings a team that's just been so terribly managed, but they've never really won. It's not like they've lost these heartbreaking series where they could have won or if, you know, one thing went their way, you know, maybe things change. But yeah, that might be worse then, right? Because if you're the Bills, you're you're that close. You're at kind of the precipice of of kind of the league and you're so close if you just want one thing happens the other way you might be going to the championship rounds and potentially the super bowl champs but you know the bills they lost they made it four finals in a row lost all four finals well that's uh, what i mean yeah back. they're they're you know cursed. like yeah though no, that's that that must be that, that might be the worst way to be a fan when you're so close but just you know one or two things don't go don't go your way and here you are kind of contemplating what to do in the offseason, especially having the season that they did, having uh, that type of performance from Allen, basically a flawless two-game uh, performance so far. Um, but, man, it's it's tough to to go against KC, especially with that that offensive firepower and um, Patrick Mahomes, Kelsey. Man, it's, it's, it sucks. It sucks, but... Um, yeah, we'll, we'll see how Casey does, but man, they, they, they should be fired up for how that, that game turned out. I mean, I did give this quite a bit of thought, um, and the team that came to mind for me were the Clippers. And if you look at LA in the, let's go back to like the Darius Miles, Quinton Richardson years, um, that team got plagued with inju- injuries. Sean Livingston gets injured. Lob city never wins a championship and they got damn close. Uh, year after year, mm-hmm. Chris Paul gets injured. Blake Griffin gets injured. Um, they just never had the chemistry. The Do- Donald Sterling thing pops up. Um, it's, a, it's a cursed franchise, man. And then now you look at Kawhi Leonard. They, re- they recruit him in 2019, 2020. He, comes to, he goes over to LA after winning a championship in Toronto. Injured. COVID. <laughs> Paul George is injured. 
I mean, it's, yeah. it's definitely um, it's definitely an interesting franchise in that regard where they get so close and they make the right moves, but they never materialize for them. No, that's that's a great that's a great comparison. I didn't really think that. Yeah, it makes sense. They 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 have had terrible luck, especially yeah, even this season, man, with Kawhi and PG and um, they they play hard though. That's a team that honestly, when I I've gone to a recent Clippers game and a recent Lakers game, and there is definitely a big um, contrast between how hard each team plays, and yeah, it's 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 definitely just opposite ends there. Uh, well, hey, we're going to get into uh, the dysfunction over in L.A., a.k.a. Crypto.com Arena. But um, <laughs> why don't we start? Why don't we start with our midseason all NBA teams? Like I was thinking about doing all star voting, but um, although I like the format of the all star game, I think that there needs to be some reform for all NBA. Um, they they got to move over to that all star format. But I thought maybe we can just run through our first, second and third team, maybe just list off our candidates by position and then see where we align see where we don't align and then we can discuss a little further so um let's start with let's start with the first team and why don't we start at the center position i think you and i are going to be aligned here um tuan for me i chose nikola Jokic. he's at he's averaging 26 7 and 14 almost a triple double and he's keeping a denver nuggets team that has no business being in the playoff race in contention. Uh, who do you have for your center? Yeah, this is probably the, I would say the easiest choice so far, um, especially for for a team that's been struggling to keep their players healthy. Obviously we know about Jamal and MPJ uh, being out probably for, for the year. I'm not sure the, the progress that Jamal has been making, but if we can see him back, that'd be great. But um, yeah, this is a one-man team. They're you know, obviously playing with the third, fourth, fifth best player. Um, Eric Gordon uh, is probably, I would say, their second best player. Um, and what, they're 24 and 21 right now? Six in the West, and he's putting up monsters number, monster numbers across the board. Um, man, he sh- can you believe he's shooting 57% from the field? And he's like, he's, he's not only is he obviously the main focal point of the team, so teams are doubling him, tripling him, but he's basically facilitating as a point guard, defending the best uh, big man on the other team, um, shooting, yeah, shooting 57%. I don't know what to say. Like this guy's not not like totally a complete, uh, um, what is it, a uh, interior player. Like he's still shooting the three at a very, you know, good volume, but also like a good clip. Uh, I think he's shooting like 36, 37% from the three. So he's kind of a, like just a beast all around. Like he's been making game saving blocks on the defensive end, but also making, if you saw that one pass to Aaron Gordon in the corner there um, for that game winner, I forget who, who are they playing again, but yeah, just, just overall probably the most impactful player. I would say he's probably leading the MVP race now, you know, Steph's, kind of cool down a little bit. Uh, but I, I think right now, if they can make it into the top four of the West, he has a very, very good chance of repeating. I'm not sure how like or how likely that will be just because one, you know, voters fatigue and he won it last year. And, you know, might they might make it a debate that, you know, he doesn't have the best record in the West and it can go to someone else. But 
I think, yeah, right now, Jokic is probably the MVP of the league right now. Yeah, the other three guys on my first team are in the MVP race currently. And just with the way that things are going for some of these these other guys, I think right now, midseason, it is Jokic uh, by an arm's length. But as we know, you know, earlier this season, we did talk about Steph Curry being unanimous and we were having a circle jerk about how uh, how dominant <laughs> he was. And now it's not even it's not looking that way. Right. So it's going to change again in the second half of the season. But at the moment, it definitely is Jokic. And I think the two things that are standing out for me are just his growth on the defensive end and how, you know, earlier on in his career, even as far as last year, he was kind of not really a liability on defense, but he wasn't very impactful. And the fact that he's doing it on the offensive end, but also imposing his will on the defensive end is really surprising to me. And then the other thing is what you touched on and the fact that, you know, teams don't really have to, you know, really do a scouting report for the Denver Nuggets, right? Like you really know what you're going to get. I think adding Bryn Forbes was huge because at least he's a really solid spot up shooter for the time being. But um, yeah, I mean, if you're game planning for Denver, I mean, you just double and triple team this slow center. And obviously teams are having a really hard time doing that. Yeah, um, yeah, I, I like how what, what he's doing, of course, uh, shorthanded. Um, and the center position is definitely, definitely getting more competitive, um, especially on these all NBA teams. I think we're seeing a bit of resurgence from that position, um, especially when you look kind of across the board. Uh, you know, poor, poor Raptors, they can't find a center to fucking save their season, but here the center's are, you know, playing very well. Even Mo Bamba, let's give a shout out to Mo Bamba hitting, I think it was like seven threes in the first half of a, of a game. You know, he's making a little bit of a resurgence in his career, but I didn't, um, yeah, just, yeah. He, yeah, he had like 20, he had 25 points in, in, in a half and he had like seven threes against Embiid. And then at the end of the game, Embiid had like 50 in like 28 minutes. But yeah, uh, enough about Mo Bamba. But yeah, I think just the center spot, you see how impactful it is. Um, when you have not only a center that can protect the paint, but a, a center that can facilitate, kind of be the focal point on offense. And we've seen that with the likes of Denver, Utah, 76ers, um, teams that, you know, are super reliant on their center centers to, to make big plays uh, on both ends of the floor. And um, yeah, I, th I think there's definitely uh, uptick in the importance for centers after we've seen this revolution of, you know, guards, uh, guards who can create their own shots and guards that can just make shots, uh, you know, in, in this new era of basketball. No, for sure. Um, Tuan, take me through your forwards. All right. I think this, these, these two are pretty locked in. I don't think there was much debate on my end on who should have been, should have been the two forwards here. I had Giannis um, as my first forward. Um, and then the second forward was Kevin Durant. Um, yeah, again, these these two guys, um, you know, are still in the MVP race. I think it comes down to how their team does, uh, you know, when they stack up against each other and against the rest of the East. The East has gone so strong in the last year and a bit with the Bulls in the mix, um, with even Atlanta and the Knicks not even being like in the playoff picture. I, I feel like that's a pretty big indication of how strong the that the East has uh, come uh, 76ers still in the, in the mix Celtics. So these two guys obviously 
are key key players for their team uh, from both sides of the, the floor. Like Giannis, um, still what what a monster he. I, if I had to pick right now, and you know I got good odds, I would honestly think Giannis might might win MVP again. Just if the the Bucks can you know stay healthy. I know Middleton missed some games uh, in the beginning of the year, and they kind of like stumbled out of the gates a bit there. Um, and yeah, Kevin Durant, man, this guy has not been playing with Kyrie for you know just recently for the majority of the year. And Harden still, I don't know what's going on with Harden. He's almost I was just triple double, but I don't feel like he's making a big of an impact as you would expect from a guy who's, you know, been a perennial MVP candidate for the last several years. So I feel like Kevin Durant's taking a huge workload. Um, and I don't think it's slowing down anytime soon. I know he got hurt uh, with, with, I, was it his knee? He got recently hurt. I'm not sure how long he's out for. Yeah. But, unfortunately, the, um, the knee injury is going to be four to six weeks. Yeah. So um, as of right now, those are my two forwards. I don't think I have to go into too much detail or whatever. It's just th these two guys are so impactful uh, for their team. So important that, you know, if either one of them are missing, um, that their team really struggles on, on both ends of the floor there. Yeah, I mean, I got the exact same guys. Um, I think with Giannis, we're not seeing like, we're not seeing maturity. I think what we're seeing is better coaching and better management of his style of play. Um, when they were playing Phoenix, the, he flipped a switch where he wasn't, you know, running, they weren't running those ISO plays for him. They weren't asking him to be Kevin Durant or Zach Levine, or, you know, they weren't, they weren't trying to get him at the top of the key, dribbling the basketball and shooting jump shots. He is so much better when he's not doing that. And literally just as dominant as Shaq, you know, like I, it's, Shaq's the guy that comes to mind when I think of the way that Giannis is dominating the game right now, because you really can't do anything about it unless he's playing that type of basketball where he's trying to play one-on-one -on -one at the top of the key. If he's playing the way that he's playing, averaging 28, 11, and six, I mean, I'm with you with Durant being injured and recency bias with Jokic, Giannis could definitely be MVP yet again. Um, with Kevin Durant, unfortunately, he was actually at the top of my MVP ladder prior to the injury. Um, and I blame his injury on Kyrie, and I blame his injury on Harden's uh, lack of preparation before the season because his usage rate went through the roof with these guys just being mm -hmm. bums, uh, being out of shape, and not getting vaccinated. And, man, Brooklyn is in shambles without this guy, and I don't see them – getting their continuity when he comes back, unfortunately. But with Durant, you know, I feel like he hit this level of proficiency that DeMar DeRozan is actually experiencing with Chicago in that these guys know their game inside and out now. They're so mature and they're getting to their spots um, at will. And Kevin Durant was doing that. And I think he was playing, in my opinion, some of the best basketball of his career because when you watch him play, you know, no one was altering his jumper. No one was getting in the way of his success. It was just him playing by himself and getting everything that he wanted. It, it looks like that on the floor. It le legit, there's no, like, sure, you can have like a six, eight, six, nine, four, try to guard him as best as you can. And even with a hand in his face, this jumper does not look, you know, it doesn't look phased at all. Like he, he just gets to his spot, he pulls up, you're, you're just hoping that he misses. 
but everything looks so smooth. Um, and yeah, I agree with you, man. Like it sucks that, you know, the Kyrie situation, you know, is, was hovering over their, their team all year. Harden still trying to get back into kind of where we expect him to be. But um, I, I think the Nets will be fine um, if, if Harden just continues. You know, we, we know Harden is more ball dominant than, than we probably allow, our, allow ourselves to really think since he's kind of been in the shadows of Kevin Durant in the last, you know, full year since being traded to the Nets. Uh, but he plays a lot better with the ball in his hand. So I, I see Harden probably picking up some of the, the slack on the offensive end. I think where they're going to find some trouble is on the defensive end, not having um, KD there uh, being like a secondary rim protector. Uh, so I, I think the Nets will be fine. Milwaukee is going to always be a very strong regular season team if Drew Holiday, Chris Middleton, and the supporting cast can stay healthy. Um, but yeah, I, I, I like obviously these two guys a lot. And yeah, they're, they're my two picks for uh, the forward spot for the first first team All-NBA. For sure. Let's let's go into the guards. I think this is the uh, one category or the, the guards were the one category where I had a little bit of trouble uh, with the second one. The first one, I chose Steph Curry, averaging 26, 5, and 2. He's dropped off significantly uh, within the MVP race, and uh, he's definitely struggling. And I think, you know, we can touch on it a little later about Golden State and, you know, why they might be struggling as a team right now with Clay coming back. But um, Golden State is still a top three team in the NBA, and he's the reason why. So I got Steph as my guard. Um, and the other guard spot, I had a really hard time between John Morant and Chris Paul. And I want to hear who your guards are because I'm still having a hard time uh, deciding this this uh, award because statistically it's John Morant, but in terms of impact and team success, I don't think Phoenix is where they are without Chris Paul. So uh, Tuan, why don't you tell me who you got? Yeah. Um, this was kind of where I was at a crossroads as well. Um, especially for this all NBA team. I was, the first team all NBA is such a um, prestigious award. And, you know, I, I, for me, I was obviously torn because you have John Morant, you know, he has elevated his game to the next level, um, taken, you know, this very young Grizzlies team who, again, they, they were in the play, play in game last year. They beat Golden State. Um, and, that was kind of like the first step of, you know, we, we're seeing this young team evolve into, you know, a good team. Um, and I think for me, as well as he's played with all the highlights that he's been on in social media, how, you know, he's shooting the three at, you know, at a 35% clip, just being a better all overall efficient, effective scorer. Uh, and his numbers, you know, are really good across the board, 25, six, and seven. Uh, but even though Chris Paul is only averaging, what, like 14, 10, and four, I think he's leading the NBA in assists, even at whatever age he's at, 36, 37. Um, I'm giving it to Chris Paul. I had John Moran in there when I was doing like my research and just looking back at team records and whatnot. But um, the Suns are the most clutch team um, in the NBA with uh, within the last two minutes of the game. We know who's handling the ball with those last two minutes in the game. It's not Devin Booker, it's Chris Paul. 
Chris Paul will put, you know, the best players in the best position. He's going to feed DeAndre Ain. He's going to be able to feed, um, uh, I wouldn't say Cameron Payne, but who's the other guy? Cameron Johnson, Mikel um, Bridges. Like the, all these guys have elevated their games because of Chris Paul. And he is just Kyle Lowry on steroids, basically. It's, it's, he's just a better version of Kyle Lowry um, where you don't see it in the stats. Uh, but when you watch a game, that's where it matters. And, you know, he's, he's not shooting the three super well this year, but he just wins. He's just, he's a winning player. I, I love to see that the Suns are 36 and nine first in the West. You got to, you got to award um, winning. And yeah, it's, it's Chris Paul for me. Definitely a tough decision because John Morant's been playing so well. And I, I love what he's been able to do. I hope it's not like another case of, this guy just playing out of his mind, but also playing a bit recklessly. You know, I, I you hate to kind of reference uh, the season that Derek Gross had. Obviously, he won MVP at a very young age, the youngest MVP in NBA history. But we saw kind of the way that, you know, he took a beating, the way that he was so explosive in his early, early stages of his career and, you know, injuries got to him. So I'm hoping, fingers crossed, that, you know, John Morant, can you know continue playing at this level for a really long time because he has been such a bright spot for not only Memphis Grizzly fans but even just NBA fans in general watching this young guy being the second pick overall uh, three seasons ago and just elevating his game to be a top five top ten player in the NBA it's it's really fun to see and I I love to see it yeah I I, I put Jaw on my second team and for the same reasons that you just mentioned Chris Paul. 14, 10, and two Phoenix are nine and one in their last 10 games. And even though Booker is their best player, it's Chris that or orchestrates everything. Um, again, you mentioned his three point shooting, but if you watch the Dallas game last week, um, it was neck and neck. Luca was going off, but when they needed a three point bucket to seal the game, it was Chris Paul that nailed the dagger. Right? So that's just who he is. And I just hope that Chris can stay healthy for his team in the playoffs because um seems like every year this guy goes down around that time but um you know he's definitely he's definitely he definitely brings maturity to that phoenix team that needs it because think about the pitfalls that the organization has made in the last year uh they made i believe they made a mistake with deandre ayton but those kinds of things can distract your locker room right especially with their young player and i think i truly believe it's chris paul's presence and veteran leadership that is the reason why that thing didn't explode and look at Robert Sarver. Well, he's been through that before with Donald Sterling. Um, and I think that it's his veteran leadership mm -hmm. again, that's keeping his team level headed uh, during these turbulent times, you know, the organization can't get, get out of their own way, but fortunately they got a guy that's been around the block. Can we, I forget what the trade exactly was from this for this, for the uh, OKC, um phoenix trade but that must be one of the best trades of, of the last few years you know like um what, what a steal like they didn't get anyone like worthwhile maybe some picks here i forget what the exact trade was but to get chris paul and he was he was second year or second team all nba last year possibly first team all nba this year pretty wild to see that he's been such an impactful player um at this um later stages of a career uh but Quick question. Did, did anything happen with uh, Sarver, like Robert Sarver and all those accusations about him, you know, kind of basically being the next um, Sterling? So um, 
I, I haven't heard much about that. I remember that was a pretty big story for a bit, but maybe things are just kept being kept under the rug. But uh, I never heard much about what happened there with the Phoenix Suns and Robert Sarver there. I think it's still undergoing um, investigation. I don't think they've reached any conclusions, but I think that they've definitely, they keep like unearthing evidence and, um, you know, things that sort of don't support him, but I don't think they've come to any conclusions yet. True, true. Um, but yeah, let's move to second team. We're actually pretty aligned with our first team. I think we're going to start having some differing opinions with our second and third team. The second team, I did a lot more massaging with regards to like guards being able to play as forwards and, and stuff like that. But um, yeah, let's start with our second team guards. I think you're going to have John Morant. I will as well. Um, unless, uh, unless you didn't, but who are your two guards? Uh, yeah, for sure. John Morant was the, the first guard on the second team. And I was, yeah, I was going back and forth between the second guard position. I think there's a lot of players that, can fall in that second guard. You could, you could make a case for Zach Levine if you had him as a guard, as a two guard, Devin Booker, um, even Trey Young. You know, I, I was really, I was kind of torn about Trey Young too, because I wanted to put him on one of these teams, but I really want to just, just, you know, give this, give these awards to guys that are on winning teams. And, you know, Donovan Mitchell has been a consistent winner since he's joined the league. Um, Utah, again, even though they sometimes stumble um, in the playoffs, they're always a really good regular season team. So this is a regular season award. So my second spot is uh, awarded to Donovan Mitchell. You know, he's, again, he's still playing super well, playing scoring at a decently efficient rate, you know, 26, four and five shooting the three at 34% clip. And again, he's the offensive focal point for a very, very good Utah Jazz offensive team, by the way. They shoot a lot of threes. They, they run in transition, pull up threes. Um, and they're, they're playing that analytical game very well because they have a guy in Rudy Gobert who can, you know, obviously shoot around 65, 70% from the field and on any given night. So, um, I think him being the the focal point for their offense, uh, you know, being the you know primary facilitator for that team, and having you know probably he doesn't really have a secondary offensive star on his team, you know, outside of who who would you say like Bogdanovich or Jordan Clarkson or you know not even Joel Ingles like he's he's kind of fallen off a bit, but he doesn't have that secondary ball handler secondary score that they really need to kind of elevate their play in the playoffs because teams will continually, you know, strategize and game plan for Mitchell. And he can only do so much, you know, we, we've seen him play very well in the playoffs, you know, prime example would be first round against the nuggets in, in the bubble, you know, him, him going back and forth with Jamal there. And I think, you know, being fourth in the West is um, also a huge deal. So I, I'm, I'm throwing him in there as, my uh, second guard for um, second team All NBA. Who, who'd you have in there? I took Trey Young. I took a statistical Trae approach, Young. a statistical approach with Trey, not really um, a one based on winning like we did with Chris Paul. 
I don't know, man, 28, four and nine. I was surprised by the nine assists. I do blame him for a lot of their pitfalls, you know, as the leader of Atlanta, they have so many talented players on their team. And we've talked about that, but you know, getting that team to gel has been the challenge and getting them to buy in on defense has been the challenge. I think if Trey were to focus a bit more on the defensive end, even though he's not a good defender, um, if you at least put the effort, I think it would really help that team. But there's a lot of season left, and they're on a four-game winning streak. Um, they're just shy of the play-in tournament right now. And I just think that there's a good chance that that team turns it on. But I took Trey Young at the midseason. I took Trey Young for his, uh, his 28-4-9. and uh, Kind of off, not off-topic, but why do you think Atlanta's struggling so much? Is it? They, they, they were so like again they they did well in the regular season last year I believe they were fifth and they upset the New York Knicks they met made it all to the way to the conference finals is this just teams kind of game planning them for a little better now and not you know being surprised by by their roster like they haven't moved um they, they haven't made much you know um moves to their roster so it's basically the same roster as last year is it just guys now wanting more touches like what, what are your thoughts with 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 Atlanta and why they're why they're struggling to come to play well in the first half of the season I think it's a combination of a lot of things I just think they're very talented like they have a lot of players and just getting those players to gel has been the issue um, I think that's one I think two it, start, it it also starts on the defensive end I think that um I think it comes down to Trey. I think Trey just is, he's a young star that kind of lacks the leadership qualities to galvanize the team. And I think that uh, not a lot of focus is made on the defensive end uh, with that, with that ball club. They have like a 0.5 point differential, which is not that bad. So that kind of tells me that when the, when the games are close, uh, they're just not getting stops. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, that's really it for me. That's, but I do think that, with a young team like this, like they can get hot and they can, they can turn things around in the set in the second half of the season. Will they have the same success as last year? Absolutely not. But I expect them to be a playoff team. I expect them to make a move. I, I like a move in the, before the trade deadline. I think they're just, they should definitely use this momentum in kind of the season that they had last year, even though starting off slow this year, I think they have good players locked up for a few years. I think they have a lot of pieces. They just need really that second score, that second star next to next to Trey. It's it's definitely not Bogdanovich um, from a consistency standpoint. And I don't think it's Clint Capella or, um, sorry, I'm blanking on the power forward's name, Collins, John Collins. So yeah, sorry, went on a bit of a tangent there, but I just wanted to kind of get your perspective on that because they're kind of the most disappointing team so far, I think, for me, along with the Knicks as teams that felt like they had a lot of momentum coming into the season and kind of just flopping on that end. But let me flip it back to you. So who do you have as your two forward forwards for the second team All-NBA? Yeah, I'll give you my forwards real quick. I just wanted to mention John Collins. I think that that's a great trade piece. And I think that they could get a lot for him with um, Herter and Gallinari and Capella. Um, but anyways, my guards, I did a little massaging here. I'm going to start with the obvious. I went with LeBron James, your favorite basketball player over there in LA. <laughs> um, you know, LeBron, for obvious reasons, 
Uh, will he be a first team all NBA this year? Absolutely not. I can't see him taking any one spot in that first team that we previously spoke on, but I think he's got a very comfortable, cushy leather seat in the second team forward spot. Um, you know, I haven't been really watching much Laker games, but I am very aware of the incredible stats that this guy is putting up um, in games that they're losing and games that they're getting awfully close with, with shit teams, but he's putting up some really interesting numbers for a guy, his age. And I forget who I was listening to, but they were talking about the evolution of his game and how he's shooting a lot more threes and he's making them like, mm-hmm. I would let LeBron shoot threes all day, every day, but Hey, first half of the season, he has been draining them, I guess. So I got LeBron in the first spot. And then in the second spot, I got our boy, DeMar DeRozan, averaging 10, 26, five and five. Uh, the Bulls are second in the East and he's just been a complete monster in crunch time for Chicago. Um, I'm so happy to be saying that. I didn't think that in 2022, I'd be putting DeMar in an all NBA team, especially after uh, the last few years in San Antonio. But yep, I got DeMar. How about you? Yeah. Hate to hate to echo whatever you just said, but yeah, I have LeBron and Demar as well. Um, yeah, I've been lucky enough to obviously watch some of the Lakers Lakers play um, live this this past season, and yeah, I mean, Le- LeBron is the only thing that's going for them. To be honest, it's tough to watch that team. They they lack a lot of depth. You know, they they're depending on man. I, I was watching them against the Pacers. Stanimal, baby. Stanley John Stan, Stanley Johnson is playing big minutes for them. He was probably the best player or second best player uh, for like a week stretch when he, you know, he just signed a 10 day with them like a, a few weeks back. So it's that that's that's very telling of how um yeah, just the lack of depth that they have um in, in their kind of not even guard, but just like their forward position right now. I know obviously the 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 biggest pressing concern is you know they're missing ad but the thing with ad is that they've been struggling with them all year as well they're 13 and 14 with ad so you can't say that you know they, they've been much better without him um and yeah i i, I don't want to go down this westbrook uh rabbit hole but he is horrendous i don't know i watch him play it's just him and carmelo are terrible pieces man i don't like i'm watching carmelo just catch the ball with 20 seconds left in the game against the Pacers, or uh, 20 seconds left, maybe two, three minutes left in the games. It's a tired game, and he's jacking up threes with a you know hand in his face. It's tough to watch. Westbrook, you know, anything outside of a, a layup um, is you know most likely not going in. So uh, it's just tough to watch. This team doesn't really have much continuity, no co- cohesiveness with them. They're, it's just basically throwing a bunch of really good players who have, you know, all these accolades together and not having any, you know, good young energy. Like I'm not expecting much from Austin Reeves here. I'm not THT has definitely not been as good as a lot of Lakers fans want to advertise. You know, he was kind of the, the, the missing piece for, or the piece that they didn't want to trade away when Lowry was on the table. Imagine Kyle Lowry on this team right now. They wouldn't have to deal with Westbrook. They wouldn't have to deal with, you know, the headaches of everything. And again, things would look drastically different if they had Kyle Kyle Lowry on this team. But yeah, Lakers, man, 
definitely in a tough position right now. And then again, it's going to be so nice or it's so nice to see Damar kind of have a bit of resurgence as well, you know, being kind of in the shadows um, in San Antonio with no media coverage, just kind of being a, you know, a, not even a playoff team to, to be exact in the last few years. So him being in a big market right now, playing with really good players, we've seen what he's done with Toronto, you know, give him a bit of talent and he's going to be able to perform really well in the regular season. You know, I want to preface by that because we, you know, he's definitely aged. I hope he is able to perform when the playoff time comes, but we've seen him struggle when teams kind of slow it down. They don't let, you know, they put a longer, bigger guard on him or, you know, a forward on him and they make him really, really take tough shots. So it's nice to see him, you know, get 26 a game and shoot, you know, uh, make make a third of his free threes. But I hope, you know, he continues to shoot that at that pace, especially at the playoffs. Uh, you know, I cheer, you know, I want to cheer for him and I, I want him to do well. But, you know, if history teaches us anything that you want to be cautious of um, how a regular season DeMar DeRozan looks versus a playoff uh, team game plan DeMar DeRozan may look as well. But again, they have Zach Levine, they have Vucevic, they have Lonzo Ball. So they have really good young players. So, you know, it might be a different story, but that's the only thing I would preface there. Yeah, I mean, you're totally right. The only thing I would say to that is, you know, I feel like if we're if we're using like a um, a collegiate analogy, I feel like playing with the Raptors was like Demar's undergrad, and he was just sort of like learning the ropes, um, and then he went to grad school in San Antonio, and now he's a freaking PhD. You know, like he is <laughs> cool. <laughs> like because I feel like now, you know, what he learned to do so well in San Antonio was playmake. And I think that, you know, instead of taking those turnaround, mid-range, low-percentage shots, you know, he's learning how to pass. He's learning how to uh, create. And he's really what he's doing so well that I love watching. And again, it's like just like watching Kevin Durant is he just gets to his spot so well. And that makes life so much easier when you have that ability. Um, he makes it look, look pretty effortless. Um, okay. So Tuan, we're like, other than our guard spot, we're pretty much on, on pace here to having the exact same teams. Um, we almost, I was going to say, we should just turn on a three minute timer and talk about the dysfunction in LA, but maybe we'll just circle back to it later. My center yeah, position that. is probably the same as you. Um, I took Joel Embiid. Who did you take? Yeah, it's Joel there. And I think it's pretty, honestly, it's not that far off from like the same impact that um, Jokic is having with, with his uh, team in the Denver Nuggets. Uh, we, we all know kind of the, the story with Ben Simmons and them, them missing, you know, arguably their second best player, even though with all his flaws. And he has just been playing at such, I, I don't know, what, he's shooting the three better. I think it opens up a little bit of the floor for him. He's playing at a better pace because he doesn't have that, uh, point guard that is, you know, congesting the paint that and needs to be in that rush. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I, I think his games just opened up a little more. I think doesn't have as much pressure. Of course, you know, there's still six in the East. They can still make a big play. They can, you know, still uh, make a move uh, to send Simmons, even Harris a uh, different direction. They might be able to get another really good player. So, uh, their season's still kind of up in limbo there, 
but if Ben Simmons doesn't play and isn't get traded by the um, uh, deadline, then it might be a w- another wasted season by, or yeah, by Joel Embiid, who's playing very like he's a top five M- MVP right now. I would even say, um, and again, he scored 50 points in like 28 minutes the other day against Orlando. So I, I think that game was kind of telling of how much he's evolved as a player who was known as, you know, just a post player, a guy who was injury prone, and now he's playing 42 out of 45 games, logging huge minutes for a team that um, is shorthanded, um, to say the least. Yeah, I mean, he's he's definitely uh, achieved a, a, a level of dominance that he's never had in the past. I think, you know, there there are very few players that like going at going at your neck, and Joel Embiid is def- Joel Embiid is definitely one of those players who just enjoy going at your neck and he'll just keep relentlessly going after you and after you and after you. Um, I mean, he's dropping games in the high thirties, forties, even fifties. And he's definitely, yeah, he's, I mean, he's reached a level that I've never seen before. And it's just very unfortunate because, you know, I think there's two teams that are playing with the basketball gods right now. I think it's Brooklyn uh, where you got superstars that are just so entitled that they're just not either showing up in shape or, or they're just not playing basketball. And I think uh, Philly's one of those teams too, where you have an all NBA talent that is not playing basketball on your team because he's disgruntled. And I feel really bad for a guy like Joel Embiid because he's doing everything he can. He's playing the game the right way. Um, And although he might've mismanaged the Ben situation, sorry, although he might've mismanaged the Simmons situation off the court and how he spoke Mm -hmm. to the media, um, it's just really shitty to see wasted talent. Yeah, just a wasted product, productive career or productive season from, again, a guy that has just, yeah, found his way to take that next step into a such a dominant player. And he's, again, he's another reason why the center position is continually being more important um, when you see the likes of, like, DeAndre Ayn um, being such an impactful player on a you know, finals team and um, yeah, hopefully 76ers figure it out. Hopefully not like whatever, but um, that they're a team that, you know, I I really like Joel Embiid as a player. Uh, So hopefully things work out for them, but um, yeah, he's, he's definitely a uh, monster this year, top 10 player, no doubt. And yeah, we'll see how the rest of the season goes goes for him. Yeah. I mean, let's, let's breeze through our third team. Um, we can start with our guards. Uh, I, I went with Luca and Booker. Uh, it's important to recognize that it's a midseason award. Uh, Luca is a third team right now, but you know, could he steal? You know, for my uh, list, at, at least, could he steal Trey Young's spot in the second team? Absolutely. Um, he could even. He's probably one of the guys that could actually creep up into that first team as well, because I think there there is um, a spot to be taken for you know Chris Paul or John Morant, depending on who you have. Uh, but you know, Dallas is turning around. They've been playing really good as of late. Lucas seems to be getting into his groove. Um, but he needs to get serious about being a pro. Um, and then Devin Booker, I have for obvious reasons, probably the most talented player on Phoenix. And, uh, you know, their their record speaks for itself. So I, I have Luca, but he's, he's my forward. So I had Zach Levine and Devin Booker as my guards. I know Zach Levine. I still call I call him a I call him a two guard, uh, especially if he's playing with Lonzo as point guard, Demar as a three, 
but I guess the Marsmen play a lot of four too. But whatever, just um, I, I'm gonna give uh, Zach the the guard spot there, and then yeah, well, you, what you said with Devin Booker, the Suns being the top team in the in, in the entire NBA, he definitely deserves to be in there. Um, just yeah, the Suns, what a what a story for for that franchise. Uh, you know, a team that won eight in a row in the in the bubble. You know, we always joke about you know what the fuck does that even really matter? Like you didn't make the playoffs. You you know you 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 were barely missed the play-in game, but I think that went a long way. And then having you know adding Chris Paul to the to the formula and just kind of worked its way out. Because remember, Devin Booker, Zach Levine were guys who we talked about saying, oh, they're they're never on winning teams, so they they're just not. You know, they don't they don't deserve to be on the third team all NBA. They don't deserve to be um, all stars. But now you see when you put you know competent players around these younger guys who have established themselves as you know dynamic scorers, dynamic playmakers, um, it's it eventually works out because you know winning will make things better. And now you put these guys in situations where they can thrive. They don't have to handle the ball 90% of the time. They don't have to score 30 points a game you just kind of let them work with Lonzo Ball work with CP3 and things just come easier for them and when you look at the shooting percentages for Zach Levine who's becoming probably one of the best all overall shooters in the entire NBA which says a lot for a guy you know who he came out of UCLA as a very you know athletic um, slashing guard and now he's developed into a you know a three-point threat. This guy was participating in the NBA three-point contest. And as a dunk com- competitor, I think just overall his game has grown so much. And then again, Devin Booker uh, taking that huge leap after a great finals run last year. And I, I think he has a chance to be second team all NBA if um, the Phoenix Suns continue to uh, lead the NBA in standings for the rest of the season. For sure. So who, who do you have for forwards? Uh, so I had Luca as my other forward position. And you mentioned how well they played, you know, um, as of late. I won't go into that too much. And then my other forward position, this one was honestly really tough because I had Trey or Paul George, Pat as potential uh, third team all forward. So for me, I, I went with, wins i went with success of the team and i went with draymond um he is tough here but i think i I love guys that just impact winning more more so than what their stats and score sheets say and uh, he's a prime example of what that that looks like he's just a ford version of cp you know a guy that can create for his teammates a guy that leads uh on and off the court and just impacts winning without you know having to you know have Gaining triple doubles, you know, whatever it is, this guy just, you know, does it on both ends of the floor, you know, uh, mentoring a very young, uh, athletic, uh, cohesive team in, in Golden State. So I'm giving him my my other uh, forward position there. Yeah, no doubt. Draymond's kind of like the Chris Paul um, of forwards for these all NBA mm-hmm. for these all NBA teams. I took Draymond as well for for all the reasons that you had mentioned. I think. His absence is very telling for Golden State right now. Um, they yes. need him. You know, he's he orchestrates that offense. He orchestrates that defense. He does so much for Steph in order for him to get open. And, um, yeah, I mean, they need him, and they need him fast. 
the and the other forward that I had was Zach Levine. I, I moved him to a okay. forward position. So uh, for the same reasons that you mentioned, you know, he's he's in the upper echelon of talent in the NBA, and the guy earned the guy earned it because we've just seen a steady incline in his uh, in his game since he entered the league. Similar to Demar, you know, they're really they're a really interesting pairing because their work ethic seems to be very similar. Um, so that leaves us with one more spot, the center position. Um, let me guess. Actually, no, just you tell me. <laughs> was it the guy? Was it the guy that broke the NBA in 2020? Yeah, it was. It was. Um, as much as you know, I, so, very polarizing player for for most fans. But he's man. He I I don't think you can really deny the impact that he makes, um, especially on that team. You know, he's still a top three defensive player of the year candidate. He's a guy that's gonna again shoot 67 percent. Um, from the field, he, he, he's going to do everything that you ask from him. And, you know, it's not a sexy pick because he doesn't, you know, shoot the three, he doesn't, you know, play make, but he just does everything that you want um, a center to really do when you have that type of team. So, um, and I don't think there's really a, like, who's a, who's a, another center that I could even consider here. I, I, I didn't really even think outside of Rudy Gobert, who would be a, you know, uh, a viable third team all NBA option here. So again, it's, it goes to the unsexy Rudy Gobert pick, but um, he impacts winning um, tremendously for the Jazz. Um, just kind of puts everything together for that team on the defensive end. And um, yeah, he, I, I, I'm not sure. I didn't really look at his stats just because what I watch, I, I, I can just tell that he does contribute, especially when, when, when I see him play, but um, I think he's like 15 and 10. I, I, that's just off the top of my head. I don't know what it actually is, but um, yeah, Rudy Gobert, uh, my third center on the All-NBA team. Yeah, I'm with you for all the reasons that you mentioned. He's just, you know, he's he's a beast in the regular season. His uh, his faults get exploited in the offseason, or sorry, in the playoffs, as we've seen time and time again. I don't know what their solution is going to be for when teams go small on him, but uh, in the regular season, he always shows out. He does his thing, and uh, he's the unanimous defensive player of the year, time after time. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so Tom, we still have quite a bit to cover here. I'm not sure how we want to uh, how we want to take this, but it was it was fun breaking down these All NBA teams. Um, but yeah, why don't we why don't we quickly uh, just talk about one of the uh, teams that we sort of talked about earlier, the Memphis Grizzlies. They've, you know, earlier in our, I think it was like one of the earlier episodes this year, we we really gave a lot of credit to the Washington Wizards. Big time recency bias at the time. Uh, <laughs> prisoners of the moment, for sure. Um, but I think, you know, at the time, the Memphis Grizzlies were really struggling. And if I could do a do-over uh, on that podcast, I'd probably give this team the credit that we were giving Washington because I think that this year they've been the breakout team in the NBA. So I just wanted to ask you, they're young, but they're confident and they have a different DNA than most young teams. How real do you think the Memphis Grizzlies are? And uh, what do you expect from them in the second half of the season? Ooh, so... Like I mentioned earlier with Jaw, I think, again, he's elevated his, his game to the next level, not only being a 
um, super efficient ball handler uh, scorer, but just a playmaker in general. I think um, his play and the play, and I would say probably the second most important player on the team. And I don't, I don't know if people agree with this, but Desmond Bain being a second year player, being the pick right after Malachi Flynn for all the Raptors fans so they can sulk in uh, the misery for the season. But a guy that, you know, um, is averaging 17, four and two. Uh, he plays his position so well. He's like a three and D guy who can defend the other team's best, uh, best player, but that also, you know, score very efficiently. Uh, we're seeing Jaron Jackson, another very coveted, very like decorated prospect who's kind of finding his own now. Like he's a, he's a big that can spread the floor. So he, he, matches really well with what uh, John Morant wants to do, who just wants to attack the rim. Um, and he's getting to the rim at at all levels now. Like he, he's just so easy for him just to attack and get to the basket, draw fouls, finish, you know, in, with contact. And we have Jaron Jackson, who's shooting about, about five, six threes a game. So it definitely opens up the floor for the entire team there. A guy that, you know, obviously isn't a – a great rebounder, especially for someone his size, but he just plays a real game really well. Um, weird looking shot, but I think, you know, he's, he's coming back from a pretty, you know, serious injury last year. And I think he only gets better. Uh, Dylan Brooks, another great pickup for them. Uh, a Canadian, I think from, I think he's from Saga, but a guy that's a second round pick that's averaging 18 points for you uh, for the season. And he's been doing this, since last year as well, he brings that grit and energy to this team. So I love what they're doing. Um, and, you know, shout out to like Brandon Clark, even Steven Adams, these guys, they're just so deep. That's the one thing about them. They were, um, I forget what their record was. I think there was like 10 and two or 11 and two without John Morant. So they went on a, you know, a serious run when he hurt his ankle and now he's back. And I think they're just finding, um, more ways to win. I, I think, you know, when Morant was out, these guys just got in more reps, got more confidence as, you know, secondary, primary ball handlers. Uh, so, yeah, they, they are top uh, 10 team uh, on the offensive and defensive end. And that's definitely a sign of a very good team when you can be top 10 in both categories. And, yeah, the net rating, 3.2 right now. So, you know, they're, they're right on top there. They're seventh um, in the NBA in net rating. So uh, they do it on both sides of the floor. And yeah, that's, that's really the reason why. I think it's just not only John Morant's um, next step as a player, but just these second round picks that are just lighting it up for them. And they're contributing at such a high level um, alongside some of their more coveted prospects like Jaron Jackson. For sure. You know, there's two teams, I think, that have been invigorated uh, from a fan base perspective. It's Chicago and Memphis. You know, Chicago was sitting idle for so long, and now that place is is rocking, right? And I think Memphis, it's been four years since Grit and Grind, and to see them uh, evolve, how fast that they've evolved, especially as a small market team, and we've talked about this before on other podcasts, right? Just how much harder small market teams have to work. Uh Memphis is a fantastic case study for that. Um, 
shout out to Zach Kleiman. You know, he deserves a lot, a lot of credit for the formation of this team. Um, you know, it's luck and ability, right? Like compare um, Memphis to Philly, right? Um, Philly's process, Okafor, Embiid, Ben Simmons, and I can't remember who the other guy was, but there was another um, a Fultz. Derlin Zoel. Or, oh, yeah. or Fultz, Him too. right? Yeah. So it just, they were, they were all the right picks and it didn't work out. Um, you know, some did, some didn't. But look at Memphis, you know, Jackson and Morant were their big draft picks. They traded for Brooks in the draft uh, in 2017. And then they landed Desmond Bain 30th in 2020, right? Um, so they just, they had the luck, but also, you know, they, they did their due diligence and they, they landed these studs. And um, the other thing I wanted to point out was just, you mentioned going 11 and two without Ja, And I think what's telling about that is his usage rate. And, you know, compared to Damian Lillard or Steph Curry or Trey Young or Dwayne Wade, you know, some of the guys that we compared Jaw to, I think what's different is that he doesn't have as high as a, of a usage rate as some of these um, top echelon superstars, right? And, you know, it was telling when they played Golden State where Tyus Jones started going off and Jaw really didn't do anything for a lot of that fourth quarter. He kind of, you know, hid and just let his teammates uh, do their thing. And then when they needed him most towards the end of that fourth quarter, he just took over. And he, I remember he got an and one and Jaron Jackson looks at him. He goes, you're a bad motherfucker. And, and I mean, John just <laughs> plays with this completely different. Um, I don't even know who to compare him to. You know, I wanted to use the D Rose comparison, but the more I watch this guy play, he's a very savvy point guard, but also has the ability to uh, be an offensive uh, juggernaut. Yeah, there's such an exciting team to watch, especially with Jaw and kind of the the style that he plays at. Not like the even just think about some of the recent highlights from this guy. This guy's coming, um, coming for it with the chase down block, yeah. two hands, putbacks, um, just 360 like 360 layups. Like he's such an exciting player to watch, and um, yeah, I'm super happy for that franchise, man, especially. They were a team, like you said, the green grind team where they were so close. You know, they were so close. They just played played against a very stacked um, Western Conference. So it was nice to see them having, you know, this uh, a bit of a resurgence, kind of a quick rebuild, to be fair, you know. And the pieces that they got for Conley, the pieces they got for Gasol um, definitely has helped them out quite a bit. And this is how you do it, man. When you, you know, you, you take your best players, you let them kind of go, go, you know, take your franchise to the next level. But when it's their time to get traded or, you know, when they can be acquired for, or they can be traded for assets, this is how you develop your team. And this is how you kind of plan around for the future. You know, we were talking about Memphis uh, and that team for so long, and they all really only had like a two year break, you know, before they got, you know, pretty lucky with getting jaw as a second pick. And we, we're seeing Zion here kind of chilling in Portland, doing his own thing, you know, not working with the Pelicans. Like, um, talk about a team that has terrible drafting so far. And, um, yeah, man, they, they're, they're doing it well, and they're doing it through player development, like what we see with the Raptors. Um, it, it goes a long way, man. You don't need, you don't need top three, top five picks to, um, 
just to to be able to rebuild. You have to get lucky with one guy maybe, and then you just build around that. And that's what they're doing. And you just love to see that, you know, player development and just having that culture set setting for that team uh, to perform really well. And I hope they do well in the playoffs. Yeah, I, th- I think they're here to stay. I think when you watch them play, there's a certain fearlessness, whether they're on the road. And I feel like they're starting to develop a home court culture like they did back in grit and grind where it's getting very difficult to play in that arena because the fans are starting to buy in. So it's fun, you know, it's fun to watch that team. Um, And next to golden state, I think they're like one of my favorite teams to watch in the NBA. So super excited to keep an eye on them for the second half of the season. Uh, Speaking of small market development, you mentioned it, the Toronto Raptors. Why don't we talk about the overachieving, extremely bizarre uh, Toronto Raptors who are currently tied with Boston for the eighth spot in the East Um, I think what's shocking for me with this team is how they're winning. When we previewed this team in a previous podcast, I said that, you know, I, I I think we both said we expect them to be uh, a pain in the ass to play on defense. And then they would really struggle on the offensive end. And if they do win games, they're probably going to squeeze them out. And it really hasn't been like that. They're actually 11th in offensive rating and 19th in defensive rating, which I find so surprising um, cause it's, it's the opposite of what I expected. Um, before, I think before what, like three or four losses in a row, they were kind of hovering in that third or fourth spot in the East. So they were right there, but, um, yeah, I mean, this is an interesting, interesting team. And I think it's only going to get more interesting, uh, in the second half of the season. What are your thoughts on Toronto so far? Toronto, of course, man. Um, I think it is surprising that they're 22 and 22. Um, and I, I, because they missed so much of what Pascal brought to the table early in the season with his shoulder surgery um, that happened in the off season. Um, I, I don't think we really expected Freddie to play at this level. Um, the shot creation that he brings to, to this team, the competitiveness, you know, he's basically just Kyle Lowry light right now. This, this guy is just basically a clone of Kyle Lowry. He's taking everything that we love about Kyle and he's, you know, shooting it at a cr- insane rate. He had such a strong December. He's definitely cooled down a little bit, but this team, man, they, uh, it's, it's, um, I don't know. It's sometimes hard to watch when you see them get blown out by the Blazers, lose to the Pistons. Uh, but then also beat the Bucks. So they're just inconsistent right now, especially on the defensive end. Um, definitely don't think, you know, we were expecting them to be 11th um, in the NBA in offensive rating, but definitely wasn't expecting them to be 19th um, in the league in defensive rating either. So I think it's just them having players, you know, in and out of the lineup, you know, every other game. There's just not consistent in who's being – um, on the floor for them on a consistent basis. Like, like again, we, they were missing Scotty Barnes for a few uh, games. They were missing OG for um, a large portion of the the, the first half of the season. Um, COVID happened, you know. Yuta, uh, again, not playing much, and they're just lacking in depth. Their starting five is great. Uh, probably one of the better starting fives um, in the NBA when you just look at how strong they are. Um, at every position. Uh, they, they've been missing Gary Trent uh, for the last few games too. So again, they, they're playing in an arena that's empty. You know, there's no fans. Um, 
and they're basically playing away like away games every game now it's there hasn't been any change from what happened in the bubble what happened uh in this previous season so they're playing at a disadvantage no doubt so it's they're, they're the average they're the definition of an average team right now they're 22 and 22 this season they're 12 and 12 at home they're 10 and 10 away they're 15th in net rating so they are the most average team in the nba right now so i don't know i I think for them the next step and i don't know if this makes sense but they have all their guys locked up for at least the next three four years Gary Trent just signed his deal. Pascal's still on his huge contract. Freddie just signed his four-year contract. OG just signed his four-year contract. Scotty Barnes is going to be there for the next four years. So if they can somehow find, I don't know what way, because they don't have enough depth, but if they can just package a bunch of picks, find that next guy that can take their team to the next level, a guy that can, you give them a ball, because Freddie is not number one option. Pascal is not number, not number one option. With the team constructed this way, your only hope is that Scotty Bonds develops at an incredible rate and he's your number one top offensive player, which I don't see at the moment, but he's shown glimpses of that, especially in the game against Washington where he dropped 27 points and was so dominant in that game, especially for a rookie, but you're still seeing him make a lot of rookie mistakes. Um, one I want to call out is uh, the defensive coverage against Luca late in that game against the Mavs. They should have won that game. Um, he, yeah, he, he, he just fucked up on that switch um, and just wasn't aware of, and he, he, Luca just killed him on that move too. So, um, and then he got benched against the wizards and then he eventually played well, really well that game, but he's making a lot of rookie mistakes. Um, so you got to live with that, but he brings so much to the table for them. And I'm really excited to, to see his development. That's kind of the, the silver lining for me, even though I don't, honestly, this this season might be a wash depending on what they do at the at the deadline. But they have the right pieces there, man. They they have such a solid five players to start with. Um, if they can get a center, um, you know, so that Scotty isn't playing the center position and bring Gary Trent off the bench, that would be ideal. Um, and that a good center would take them to another level. But again, they're just the average team right now. They just can't be losing to the Blazers without Damon Lillard. They can't be losing to the Detroit Pistons, who are horrendous this year. They just can't be doing that. So um, once they find their defensive groove, once they find just a, uh, just a more flow in the way that they play defense, like we've seen them play in the last three, four years under Nick Nurse, I think they can be definitely a top six seed in the East. But right now, I just don't see that. Um, there's just too many uh, hurdles headed their way, um, again, with COVID and player injuries and all that stuff. Uh, but it's they're, they're, honestly, it's still super fun to watch this, this team play because they play super hard. Um, it, can de- it can definitely look dreadful in the last two minutes when they don't have the guy to go to when they need a bucket. Uh, but it, it's a fun team to watch, and I'm still you know, trying to catch every game. But... Um, yeah, it's, it doesn't look like they're going to be able to make a move this year, especially in a wide open um, overall NBA. Like it's anyone's title to, to grab. And unfortunately for the Raptors, I don't think it's this year unless they make a huge splash somehow to acquire that number one star. But um, still a very young team, uh, fun team to watch. And 
yeah, I like what they're doing. I love what Freddie's doing. This guy should be an all-star. Uh, Scotty Barnes will probably be a top two rookie of the year uh, candidate player. So, yeah, I still love this team, but it's uh, definitely not championship or bust for them. No, I think everything we're seeing is positive. You know, everyone is doing the best with what they have. So from a coaching perspective, um, I don't even know the statistic, but I could probably guarantee it's it's league leading in terms of the amount of um, roster compositions that Nick Nurse has put together this season. This guy is literally throwing the kitchen sink uh, every single night um, at other at opposing teams. Um Pascal Siakam, you know, as much as his contract created a spotlight on him a few years ago, and he was being treated like a 1A in the media, he was struggling, you know, while he was front and center in the media. This guy is sort of back to where he was in his prime. He's shooting way less threes than he used to. He's being way more decisive around the rim. And his his three-point shooting has actually gone up because he's taking less, but the quality of them is much better than they used to be. So um, it's really cool to see. It's really good to see Pascal Siakam in the space that he's in right now, because he came into the league as an underdog. Um, He got a little Hollywood for a second. I don't think that worked, worked very well for him. (laughs) Now he's back in that underground or in that, you know, underdog role. And I think that's where he needs to be. And I'm happy if the eyes are off of him because he is playing outstanding right now. Um, And the third thing is, you know, like you said, They've done so much. Uh, they've de- they've done they've done so much developing and uh, nurturing of their draft picks and their their team with OG Ananobi and Fred Van Fleet and Pascal Siakam. You know, I think it's time to mortgage your future a little bit. You know, I think it's time to get a little risky. And you know, mm-hmm. they have earned the right to give away a few draft picks. You know, because they're not doing it frivolously like some of these other teams, but you know, I think they can afford to um, get rid of a few years for a stud. Yeah, that's my hope for the team too. Like I said, they're 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 gonna be together for three years at least, and it's it's right time for the pickings, man. Like it's 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 right there. They have all the assets. You know, they're, that don't don't have the depth, but they do have guys that overlap in the same style of play. Like Scotty Barnes is very similar to OG Anunoby. OG, OG Anobi is very similar to Pascal Siakam in terms of how much, you know, how much of the floor they facilitate and kind of the what they're good at, what they're not good at, how, you know, versatile they are defensively. So um, they have a good base. They have a great foundation so far. And if Masai can pull off some sort of magic and get that one guy, um, I think they're in a good spot. But um, yeah. I don't know what else to say about the Raptors, you know, just still um, super fun to watch. And yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to the second half of the year and see what Masai does at the trade deadline. Absolutely, man. One thing I will say is their half court offense is really, really, really bad, really Terrible. bad, but ugly, uh, ugly, ugly. That's why, that's why we need a playmaker one, a Damian Lillard type player. Um, or someone, on. someone on, or someone on that level, you know? Um, yeah. I mean, let's, let's move on. We've, we've covered a lot uh, this evening. Why don't we quickly just touch on um, our, you know, our predictions for the second half of the season, and then we can talk Lakers discuss dysfunction another time. I don't know why no one is looking at, Rob, <laughs> I don't know why no one's looking at Rob Palinka right now, but 
We can talk about that later. Let's just keep blaming Vogel. <laughs> okay. All right. So second half uh, predictions. I think uh, for the second half of the regular NBA season, I think the Miami Heat will come out of the East. They Damn. are first right now. They've been playing super well. That's my shit. Uh, but, but they're getting everyone back slowly. Uh, Jimmy Butler is crushing it right now. Lowry is doing his thing. The young guys are, you know, Tyler Hero is playing so well off the bench. Um, and I think they're, you know, that, that the sleeping giant there that, you know, slowly waking up right now. The Nets, you know, missing key players, the Bulls. Uh, Crusoe and Lonzo out for the next, you know, six, eight weeks. The Bucks, you know, still kind of obviously still there, but really after those teams, I don't see much competition for the Heat. So, you know, if they continue to play at the rate that they're playing at, you know, not not lose too many players through COVID or injuries, I think they will make a run. Um, I think Jimmy Butler is going to be in the discussion for. Um, all NBA, he stays healthy, and yeah, man, I I, I like what the Heat are doing. I, I like them in the preseason. Uh, I like them even when they weren't doing well and they were, you know, out of the top five or top four in the East early in the season. But um, they're picking it up. You know, they're seven and three in the last ten games, and they just play well um, when they have a fully constructed roster. So I really like uh, what the Heat are doing. And on the Western side of the, the bracket here, I think, honestly, the Grizzlies can do better too. I, I like what, honestly, I love what they're doing. I know we already discussed them, but I love what they're doing. I think they're going to continue playing really well, um, especially at home when, when they have that crowd around, uh, behind them. So I'm going to say that my juicy prediction for the second half is that the Grizzlies will catch up to the Warriors um, and be the second seed in the West um, when it's all said and done. Yeah, no, those are those, those are great predictions. I, I have Miami Heat as well for the Eastern Conference. I think they're going to separate themselves from the rest of the conference, especially with Brooklyn's injuries and just unpredictability. I don't think that's going to get itself together in the second half of the season. I think there's going to still be a ton of question marks around that organization. Um, so I think it's just going to be perfect for a well-coached, well-run organization like Miami, who's going to be fully healthy to just sort of get their stride. Um, and then the prediction of the West is I think Phoenix is just going to separate themselves from the conference as well. I think Golden State's in a really tricky place right now because so much of their success was not just Curry, but you know guys like Jordan Poole, Andrew Wiggins, uh, even Toscano Anderson and um, even Damian Lee at times with clay just coming in every five minute or sorry for five minutes, every quarter and chucking, which he should be doing in order to get his rhythm. It's really hard for the ancillary players on golden state to get any rhythm. So they're just, honestly, it's kind of like they're back at training camp trying to figure this thing out. And it's a short se- It's a short second half of the season. It moves really quickly after all-star break going into the playoffs. And I'm just concerned that they're not going to be able to um, hit that stride that you kind of need before playoff time, right? Like so much of what Golden State does is like, it's like telepathy. It's, it's Spurs type basketball, right? Where mm-hmm. it's about being in the right spot, um, moving the ball. And, and when you're trying to 
get a guy to integrate himself in that type of system, it becomes super, it, it's super difficult to do mid season. And I want, I want clay to be back and I want them to be healthy and exciting, but I just feel like it's going to be, it's almost too condensed in order to make it happen. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. That's my, that's my thought too, but yeah, I, I, I just want him to get back to the level he's at. They're, they're taking a, definitely a big hit right now in the short term, hoping that it works out in the long term, long term being, the playoffs, but yeah, they're doing everything right, man. They're, they're not, they're playing without Draymond right now. They just got to let clay rest where he needs to rest, shoot when he gets a ball, you know, get, don't, don't, don't lose that shooter's mentality. And they're still going to be a threat regardless of where they place um, in the regular season uh, at the end of the, at the end of the uh, actual season. Yeah, man. Well, Hey, I mean, it's getting late, but I, I do want to talk <laughs> fuck it let's talk about the lakers just a bit (laughs) (laughs) okay what i don't understand is you got kuzma balling right now you got caruso balling you got lonzo or not lonzo but uh uh mantras harrell all these guys that you got rid of and now you're relying on stanley johnson yeah yeah it uh it, it it makes absolutely no sense you know i i work with you know some very diehard Lakers fans and they don't know why that trade was made. Um, I, I think, you know, when, when the trade it, of that magnitude is made and you, you just, as, as a fan, you're like, it doesn't make sense to me, but I'm hoping for the best. And really this is like the worst case scenario. Like you just feel it around the city when you go to the games and when Westbrook, oh, Westbrook breaks a shot, you know, there's just like that energy around the, the, the arena. Like they, they, they're just giving up, man. They're just giving up. There's no hope right now for that team. Um, none of the young players have, you know, taken that next step. Like I mentioned with like THT before. Um, and we're seeing all these really young guys who used to play for them, you know, excel uh, with the Bulls, um, with the Washington Wizards. If they had just that depth, they don't, they didn't need that third player to kind of carry that load. We know how much of the usage that LeBron needs. The same with AD. Um, even if they traded for Buddy Heald, I, I think we're going to keep circling back to that to that trade as kind of where they, you know, they fucked up. They just went for the star power. Um, Carmelo Anthony should not be playing in the NBA anymore. I, I hate to say it, but I've seen him too many times just go for four for 12. Sure, he gets 10 points, but doesn't do anything else on the defensive end. Sure, he'll scream when he gets a fucking rebound. Like, man, who the fuck cares? Like, it's just frustrating to watch. Like, I, I'm a neutral fan when I watch the Lakers versus anyone else. Uh, but it's actually, like, frustrating to watch, like, such a shitty product on the floor um, when, when you're watching them play at such a low level, especially with the players that they have, especially with the, the, the production you're getting from LeBron James. Like, it shouldn't be that hard to... Uh, be a team that's over 500 in a weak Western Conference, um, you know, especially now. And yeah, um, it's just they basically gave up a lot of good assets for Westbrook. Um, I don't, did they w- was was getting Westbrook the reason for Crusoe Cru- leaving too? Because again, Crusoe was a huge part uh, in their championship run and in the run last year. And he would have been an awesome player to have off the bench this year. 
as a guy that gives, gives them a bit of the spark and that defensive energy that you need that this team doesn't have right now. So as much as I want to say, hey, let's trade Westbrook, he's a reason for everything. It's not that. It's just the team is has no depth. They just don't play with much cohesion. They don't play with much passion on on really either end of the floor. And it's tough to see and you watch Malik Monk jack up shots, Stanley Johnson tucking the rim, you know, you know, regard for for anyone. And, you know, either he's taking um, a charge or he's, he's, you know, committing a charge or just throwing up, you know, wild shots as we've seen, we've seen him do with the Raptors. Um, it's not looking good. And I wish selfishly that they were sick, you know, so I can actually enjoy these games and watch, you know, good basketball, but you know, them with the Clippers um, and their injuries, it hasn't been a great season for, for LA basketball at all. What I don't realize, or sorry, what I don't understand is no one, no one looks at Rob Polinka. Like even in, even in your explanation now, like it, he, the GM wasn't mentioned once. Um, who's responsible for blowing up all that depth that they had and, you know, making a bloated ro- roster. I mean, it's not Russell Westbrook's fault that he's on the Lakers. They traded for him and we knew who Russell Westbrook was back in OKC. You know, and for him to be playing the way he is, like for some reason, the media is acting surprised and they're blaming him and Frank Vogel for not figuring out this roster. But it's like, what roster? You know, like it's so funny. Mm. Like, I feel like there's there's a fraternity around the Lakers organization and either, uh, you know, you get the culture or you you've been with them in the past or and if you haven't been, then you just don't understand, you know, how special they are. But you know, their, their solution for everything is to just buy something, you know, like we just talked about Buddy Heald. Well, you know, he's not going to, we just think Buddy Heald's going to solve the problem or uh, with, in the Kobe days, you know, they got Pau Gasol. It's always just like add a star and it's never, and they don't value the depth and case in point, like they got rid of Caruso and Kuzma so quickly. And those are the type of guys that you need in the playoffs. Like there's no reason yeah. Denver should be ahead of them in the standings. No, absolutely not. You know, it's, the, it's the, yeah. The clip, the Clippers are one game behind them, and they haven't had Kawhi Leonard all year. They they've been missing PG. It's just Reggie Jackson, Mark Marcus Morris, uh, Zubats, uh, Trey Mann. Like man, these, who are these guys? Who's Reggie Jackson? He couldn't get a. He wasn't on a roster last year until you know midway through the season. So it's honestly, it's totally polarizing situations for both teams. Uh, but yeah, definitely not where Lakers fans imagined themselves to be after after that trade. But we, we all knew that this is who Westbrook was. I don't think it took anyone with any sort of basketball knowledge to understand that there was definitely a lot of risk with that move, the style that he plays with. He's always been a guy that plays really well when you're when you have a shitty roster and he's a go-to guy. We saw that with OKC in his MVP year. We saw it with Washington last year. But when you put him on a team with, you know, James Harden, Kevin Durant, and OKC, troubles looming. When you put him on a team with James Harden and Houston, troubles looming. When you put him on Lakers with LeBron James and AD, what's 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 going on here? I, there's history again has repeated itself, and it's it's again not putting blame on him, but he just doesn't play that winning type of basketball, and. We've seen him be surrounded by very, very talented players, and he still hasn't been able to 
uh, play um, that different mindset. His, you know, his, you know, fold, fold out um, all energy type of play just doesn't fit well when you have these two other alpha males. And um, yeah, man, it's, yeah. it's, it's everyone's fault. It's, every, it's LeBron's fault. It's Plinka's fault. I'm sure it's, um, it's AD's fault. Honestly, it's it's not one single blame. It's just a disaster of a season for them right now, and uh, yeah, we'll see if they can pick it up again in the second half. But it's it's been rough to be to be watching the, these games live, um, you know, spending time and money at, at these games. It's it is uh, not fun. Yeah, I mean, if if they're if they're, I mean, I feel like there is a glimmer of hope. Like these guys could figure it out chemistry wise. Like it's still in the back of my head. I think just because. They're three, they're three perennial superstars, you know, on the same team. And so I guess there is a glimmer of hope, but, you know, it's the lack of depth that really kills me. And I don't know if Plink is just immortalized because he used to be Kobe's a- agent. Like, I really don't know what's going on there, but it seems like he's untouchable. No one's really looking at him or giving him any s- sort of responsibility for the actions. Um, but yeah, man, I hope, I hope uh, things work out for that team for you so you can at least watch some exciting basketball. Yeah, that's whatever. I, I, don't, I don't care, man. Whatever. That's it's, it's it is what it is. Can't can't expect much right now. But yeah, hopefully if if they do, they do. If not, then I can watch a Lakers um, have a shitty season. That's it's okay with me. Uh, I don't care. <laughs> All right, man. Well, it's dinner time for you. It's bedtime for me. Hey, man. I appreciate you staying up, bro. This. Probably the longest party we've done in a long time. I know, shit. but we, we 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 got three episodes out in in one go. So um, it's nice to be back. Let's let's again. We're gonna keep it up before uh, for the second half of the season. Let's keep it consistent and uh, great stuff today, bro. A lot to talk, but it was fun to get back in the groove. I know just a little bit of disruption during the holiday break and the move and everything, but um, always so nice to be able to do this with you. Always so fun to take a little break from, you know, the real life and chat out with my boy, you know. So thanks for staying up till 1030 your time. So, uh, yeah, man, appreciate it. Yeah, man. It was great connecting with you, too. Uh, good luck with the move. And hopefully, hopefully you're able to furnish that place. And we'll we'll touch base sooner than later. Uh, looking forward to the second half of the season and just unpacking a bunch of balls. Yeah, sure. All right, man. Well, you have a good night. Good job. We'll, we'll be in touch. 